Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As we enter this school year, we're going to look back today at the year that was for the high school class of 2020. Filmmaker Peter Nix spent a year documenting the experiences of Oakland High seniors, a year that saw incredible turmoil in the district, agitation to toss the police out of schools, and the ever-present funding shortfalls. And that was before COVID. Nix will join us with two of the students from his film, then we'll check in with a legendary Berkeley professor who at 85 decided to try his hand at recording an album. And let me tell you, it's a bop. That's next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. From the opening seconds of Peter Nick's new documentary, Homeroom, there's a strange foreboding. We know something that the Oakland students on screen do not. We know that when these students hit the spring of 2020, all hell will break loose, that they'll witness a society convulsing with fear, that they'll watch their communities get sick and graduate on Zoom as a huge movement for justice for black people builds over the summer. At the same time, Alongside the grand waves of history, the young people on screen cannot help being themselves. They laugh nervously and pose confidently and figure themselves out. What an incredible gift to have a few moments recorded from the before times. Like myself, halfway through, I almost forgot that they would eventually hit the pandemic. But they do, and everything else beyond. They experience failure and triumph and graduation. And today, we're going to talk about the supremely weird year that the class of 2020 experienced and what it can teach us about where our society is right now. We're joined by the director of the film, Peter Nix. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, Peter Nix, this is your third film in your Oakland trilogy, having completed two others on Highland Hospital and the police department. Why have you made these particular films about these particular institutions in our city? Well, you know, I I came to the Bay Area uh, in 97. I've been here at this point longer than I've lived anywhere. Grew up outside of Boston, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, you know where Frederick Wiseman is from. And, and, and when I came to Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism to study documentary film, his work sort of looking at you know institutions uh, through a series of observational documentary films had a, had a huge impact on me. In, in addition to you know uh, television shows like The Wire. And I just became fascinated with this this intersection of uh, community and, and and the institutions that are there to to serve them. And and um, as I was coming out of the, the J School at, at Berkeley, my wife was 
getting her degree in speech pathology and her first job was at Highland Hospital. And she would come home and tell me stories of her patient population. She's a refugee from, from Laos and, and a lot of the, the patient population there, the uninsured, um, you know, are refugees or, 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 or people who don't speak English, who come from, you know, different countries or, or from the community, um, but just don't have access to, to that, that healthcare that, that we all want. And so I, I began this, this, you know, exploration of, um, Oakland through, through the lens of these, these various institutions, knowing that I couldn't tell this whole story, uh, with one film, the, the idea for a trilogy, at least a trilogy was born, you know, back in 2012 with the waiting room. Wow. And how do you set these up? Like when you go into this school or this hospital, do you just say, Hey, listen, we're moving in. We're going to be in this corner for the next year. We'll see you soon. Yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes, and you know, doc- documentary nonfiction has a, has a complicated history, you know, of, of people, outsiders coming in and telling stories and, and then leaving. And, and part of the part of the notion of what I wanted to do was develop a relationship with, with the community through a series of, of films. And, you know, that relationship carries with it, you know, a lot of responsibility. It, it, it brings with it accountability. Um, and that, that began with the waiting room and, and that, that film had such a significant impact on, I, I think that the, the local community in Oakland, but also the nation, because these were issues that we were grappling with locally that were also of national concern. Um, That allowed me to then, when it came time to look at the police department and the relationship between community and police, I could, you know, look, you know, point to that film and say, this is, you know, how we tell our stories. And this is the relationship we have, have with our, our subjects. And that, that allowed, you know, that access to, to develop and strengthen over time. And then eventually with, uh, with, with the, you know, education and, you know, looking at schools and, and talking to educators and families and parents and students, we could, we could talk about this, this long extended work that we were doing. Yeah. So you also spent a lot of time with the Oakland Police Department because of your previous film, The Force. How do you think that shaped you going into this film on you know, the school system? You know, that, that, that was a very difficult film on a lot of levels, you know, not, you know, I carry so much of who I am in, in terms of my own storytelling. I think we all do as storytellers. We, we each approach our, our process uh, to a large extent dictated by our experience growing up. And, you know, I was born in 1968 to a white woman and a black man in, in Ohio, her family threatened to disown her. if She kept me and, she made the difficult decision to put me up for adoption. And I was raised by a black family, grew up in the black church, went to Howard university as a mixed race kid, but identifying as African-American, but I never, you know, was thrown down on the pavement by a cop. You know, I, I think I was called the N word once, you know, growing up, but I, I understood these stories on a deep level through my family and through my father talking about his experience, being the first in his family to go to college and his experience with law enforcement and my cousins and, and, and knew that this was a, 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 deeply um, personal and traumatic relationship um, with a particular institution in, in the black community, but being able to approach it with an open mind saying, what is it like to be a cop? What is it like to try to reform a department? And so not going into it with a particular agenda, but rather just an open curiosity. Um, and, and that really, that fundamental, that non-polemic notion really sort of drives my, my approach to 
you know, my, my storytelling. Yeah. We're also joined by two of the students that star in this or featured in this uh, film. We have Denilson Garibo, 2020 Oakland High School graduate. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having us. <laughs> hey, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we also have uh, Dwayne Davis, uh, 2020 McClyman's High graduate, also featured in the film. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning, everyone. Danielson, <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about the moment when the, the kind of cameras came into your classroom. Like, how did, how did you think about this? How did you get comfortable just having this documentary crew all around? Yeah, so if I remember correctly, it first began with one of um, Pete's team members um, going into my leadership classroom. Her name is Gabby. She is actually like an alumni to Oakland High. So she started asking me questions and, you know, how did I feel about Oakland? And obviously, you know, I was, you know, answering like all my questions, how with my personality, you know, and I, and, and I guess she really liked that. And she knew that I was part of the OCD Council Student Union and one of the student directors. So the, I guess, it, I think it was the second week, it was Pete and his team, they all came to my, um, to my history class. And they tell me about the film and what it was going to be focused on. And I remember I was really interested in it, but then I was also reflecting on like, you know, my status and, and maybe like if I was going to represent Oakland youth the way I, I should. So it took a lot of consideration with like all city council student union and like with my family mm -hmm. to, 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 you know, let the cameras in. But, you know, in the end, we were like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So, um, yeah, so then the camera started coming in. They were all being very respectful. Obviously, they they knew um, how, how to, uh, how to um, respect our privacy. Um, but, yeah, we didn't really mind the cameras because we were already doing the things we were doing before the cameras. So it was as if the cameras weren't there. Hey, Dwayne, how about you? Do you think the fact that you know, uh, so many young people, I mean, so all of us really kind of take video of each other all the time, we're always taking pictures of each other. Do you think that it helped make you more comfortable in front of the camera? I think so. I think um, as a teenager uh, or a young person in general, you're always, you know, photographed. People are always taking videos, Snapchats, Instagram pictures of you. Um, so you're kind of, you know, comfortable with the media. You're comfortable with the cameras. You're comfortable with a audience. And um, I would say social media has definitely helped me become more comfortable in front of the cameras. Um, I don't think it was too difficult trying to get acclimated to, uh, you know, Pete's team following us around and recording our meetings and all the other initiatives that we were working on during the year. Yeah. Denison, the the primary story, obviously there's so many things going on because it's really a slice of life here. But the primary story that kind of goes from beginning to end is the fight that you all can co-led to get the police department, get police out of your schools. When did you decide that this was going to be a fight that you really wanted to take on? 
Well, honestly, this was this has been a fight that the Black Organizing Project were f- honestly fighting for about already 10 years. It, it, it's been a long time since the Black Organizing Project has wanted, you know, a resolution like the George Floyd resolution to pass. And I remember them connecting with with us through all city council student union by letting us know how much money that was being spent on school police. And I remember just me and Micah being so shocked, like $6.2 million are, are being spent on school police when we are having like all these budget cuts. So it was something that we were like, damn, like how can we get involved? How can we help the black organizing project with in the position that we are in as student directors? And at the time, we were all focused on the Oakland Youth Vote, which was um, which was a, a movement by led by Oakland youth to uh, le- to let sixteen to seventeen year olds be able to vote for their school board members. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really know if we had the time to get involved in the um, with the Black Organizing Project, but we were like, let's do it, let's do it, let's find the time. How how can we get them in the in our agenda? And in the end, we did. We were we ended up having a lot of meetings with them, actually, back to back. Like, how 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 can we strategize? How can how can we support y'all? Yeah. And the way we did it is we ended up including them in our student report time because oftentimes the school board only let them present one time every huh. every year. And we were like, no, that's not enough. They need to listen to y'all. And <laughs> <laughs> and we were, we are going to give y'all our student report yeah. time. We're talking about the new documentary Homeroom, which depicts the Oakland High School class of 2020, as well as other ho- Oakland high school, stu- high school students, with Peter Nix, the director of the movie, as well as Denelson Garibo, 2020 Oakland High graduate, and Dwayne Davis. Are you an high school, uh, Oakland High School student or graduate? What's your experience? We're going to ask you for those co- stories after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about the new documentary Homeroom, which depicts Oakland Unified in 2020, especially the Oakland High School class of 2020. And we're joined by Peter Nix, who's the director. His previous documentaries about Oakland are The Waiting Room and The Force. We also have Denelson Garibo, 2020 Oakland High graduate featured in the film, and Dwayne Davis, a 2020 McClyman's High grad, also featured in the film. And we want to hear from you. Are you an Oakland High student or graduate? And what was your experience within the school? And how about... Are you a graduate of the class of 2020? Obviously, one of the weirdest years that could that could be imagined. Were you a parent or guardian of someone um, in that class? We want to hear your story. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. So... As this film has been being filmed uh, since the fall, and we get into the spring, and I want to listen to one little cut of obviously a, a really crucial moment in everyone's lives um, around the Bay Area. Good morning, Oakland High. This is Mr. Abdul. Please excuse this interruption for the following announcement. We just got off the phone with the superintendent and she has closed schools effective at six o'clock this evening. 
uh, for the next three weeks until April 5th. Uh, if you have any additional questions, don't ask them because we don't have any answers. No, just kidding. Um, hold on to you on your questions, and as soon as we get more information, we'll share it. Thank you. So, obviously, this is uh, just a, a moment where everyone goes like, what is going on? And I, it, Dwayne, I want you to take us back to, to that day. I assume you're sitting in McClyman's hearing a very similar announcement uh, at your high school. What, what were you thinking when that happened? Um, well, actually, I believe that announcement came later on in, in the week. Um, earlier in the week, though, I re- remember just sitting down at lunch and just thinking, wow, um, I'm seeing all of this stuff about, you know, COVID on Instagram and all over TikTok and all over other social media platforms, the news and, and everything. It's all over the radio. It's everywhere. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, when are, when are we going to start, like, quarantining? When are things going to start closing? When are we going to, you know, feel like, you know, we're protected and safe? Or are they going to, you know, keep us in school? Um, I believe those days leading up to, you know, school closures because of COVID, um, I think that we had an option to go to school. And um, it was because of, you know, health and safety reasons. Mm -hmm. And then that announcement finally came. Um, I think midday while school was still in session that, you know, schools were closing. Um, and I believe at, at first it was just like three weeks and one of those weeks were actually spring break. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to be out for a minute. We'll come back for after spring break, you know, it's whatever, but we get an extra two weeks of spring break and that's everyone was super excited, but no one knew that that would be like our last time seeing, you know, each other in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was definitely something that, was very interesting. I didn't really take into consideration that, you know, it'd be the last time that I'd be on campus or, you know, that'd be my last, you know, true day as a senior in high school. Um, But it was definitely something that was unimaginable. Um, Nothing I could fathom, you know. Peter, next, you're making a documentary about schools in Oakland and the schools close. Uh, What was what was your reaction and how did you sort of start trying to put together a contingency plan? You know, it's really interesting. Our our process was was not unlike what what Dwayne describes, and we had some you know conversations with with, with a lot of the kids on on campus on campus saying, "Do you think the schools are going to be closed?" And you know, amongst our production team, we were you know starting to talk about you know what was going to happen if 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 the school closed, if we go went into quarantine. Um, we didn't similarly. We didn't fully understand um, the permanence of it um and, until much later and so we just had to kind of react as we went it, it, it was quite difficult because the initial film that we were seeking to make was very different it, it was a film exploring the emotional lives of young people coming up in a rapidly changing world i mean that was the sort of description of the film that i had sort of taped to my wall and, and the, the final film didn't end up being far off from that but our character development and character selection process. Uh, we, were, we were following numerous students, not just leadership kids like, like Denilson and Dwayne, but you know, other kids who weren't leadership kids, kids who were on the verge of, of, of dropping out, you know, stoners, jocks, kind of like the breakfast club. And um, mm. we had to stop that process and sort of reevaluate how are we going to tell the story? What is the story? And we didn't fully understand that until much later. Oh, that's interesting. You know, one of the things that really struck me in the way that you produced the film is 
trying to incorporate the social media lives of all of these of all these young people where you know that they're producing and consuming all all of this stuff but how do you actually put that on the screen in a way that sort of shows the relationship between their sort of IRL lives and what's happening on the internet yeah we initially we wanted to do actually much more with the social media because we knew it was such a critical and all-encompassing part of their lives they, they were growing up and their, their relationship the relationship between a young person and the notion of education I think has radically shifted they're getting so much more information um, in these spaces where there are no adults there are no teachers there are no parents nobody to sort of guide them contextualize what they're absorbing and and we found that to be a really profound shift a, a generational change and sort of what it what it means to come of age and Ultimately, we saw the, you know, the result of that in, in, in terms of how the young people were able to respond to a crisis, uh, able to organize, to, to, to let their voices be heard. And so we, we noticed this interesting dialectic because social media is also, I think, has a, you know, I don't know how to describe it, you know, a negative impact on the emotional lives of young people. You know, there's, there's trauma that they're absorbing, all these all this, you know, stuff about climate change, violence in our communities, police violence, they're, they're absorbing all that as well. And so we wanted to explore what it meant in terms of how that was impacting them in their daily lives. Yeah. We're talking about the new documentary Homeroom, which depicts Oakland Unified in 2020 with a focus on Oakland High School. We've got the director, Peter Nix, with us. We've also got Denelson Garibo, uh, 2020 Oakland High graduates in the film, and Dwayne Davis, 2020 McClyman's High graduate in the film. Are you an Oakland student or graduate? Uh, what was your story last year? Did you graduate in the class of 2020? How'd that go for you? And what's your story? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Denison, I, I want to ask you about the relationship between the sort of broader movement uh, for Black Lives, which you, know, you were both participating in, uh, in the Oakland context and in your work with the Black Organizing Project, as well as that broader context that you actually were seeing on your phone and you were seeing the movement taking shape in Minneapolis and in New York and, and these other places. How do you think that it informed your own activism to be able to connect with and, and see other youth leaders around the country? How I inform? Yeah. How did, how did it inform and, and, you know, either in terms of like thinking about strategies, tactics, what you were doing on the ground here, or just sort of, you know, teaching you about uh, how the world worked? Yeah. Well, through the Black Organizing Project, they, they were able to educate us on why they started fighting for um, to eliminate school police. I remember one of um, the ambassadors for the Black Organizing Project, Nakia, she was telling us that back then, like 10 years ago, this Black student was shot and killed mm -hmm. by school police at Skyline. And we were all shocked. Like, what? Like, aren't they supposed to be here to protect us? And obviously, that's not the case. So 
we saw the the harm and we heard about the harm and, and we felt it as well that it was causing to black students so we knew that that wasn't normal we knew that we wanted to change that and that's exactly why we were also motivated to eliminate Oakland School Police because I knew it threatened our black students and, and we wanted to make schools a safe space for them the way it should be since the beginning. Yeah. Um, Dwayne, you end up leading uh, a protest uh, to Libby Shafthouse, the mayor of Oakland. We're going to hear a little cut from it in a second. But I wanted to hear first about how did you go about organizing this? Like, did you, how do you organize a protest as a 17-year-old at this point? You know, do you send out an email? Do you post something? Like, what's the actual process there? Well, um, i just like to say, I think we had two and a half days to organize that protest. And when I tell you those were like the most stressful two and a half days of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... I think I really gained inspiration and motivation to continue the movement from some of the several protests that I attended in the Bay Area just days prior. Um, Organizing was definitely more difficult than I could have imagined. Um, We started off by like creating a post for it. I I went on to to an app and I made a poster and a flyer for it that included all of the details. And then um, another flyer that included some of our uh, objectives and demands. posted that on my Instagram and everyone just started reposting, reposting, reposting. Hmm. I, I, there had to be hundreds. There had to be hundreds of people reposting it. And um, I just posted it on Twitter. That got a lot of buzz as well. Um, I believe Jessica posted it as well. And, you know, we got a lot of um, impressions from it. Yeah. Uh, it was <laughs> I mean, originally I was thinking like, okay, people are posting, that's amazing, but are people going to show up? So I was like, you know, we're going to do this anyway, regardless, but we definitely, I believe that there's a strength in numbers. And I think that having, you know, as many people there as possible to just show everyone that we stand in solidarity for the same thing would have been um, definitely a plus. I reached out to uh, various organizations for, uh, you know, security help, just in case anything happened, um, emergency services, uh, the speakers and the mics, the flatbed truck. There's just a, a lot of components that I had to consider. And uh, a lot of things that were ex- executed, you know, quickly um, in preparation for that process. Yeah. And the next thing you know, this is uh, what's going on. Let's hear that cut. So, in this scene in the film, y'all are up on this talking to all the folks who've gathered. What's it look like from your perspective as you look out on this crowd in front of Libby Shaft's house? Oh, I can see. Um, <laughs> she lives on kind of like a corner. We, we, we drove up as, as far as we could into the street, but there were so many people that there were people around the corner, down the street. <laughs> and, you know, as we're marching, we could just see, you know, just so many people just behind us and, you know, almost as far as the eye could see. And it was just 
bigger than we could have imagined. It, it was definitely um, a large turnout. And I'm so glad that we got to see so many young people from Oakland stand for um, the same thing and come out and support during those difficult times during COVID. Yeah. Dennison, you were also working on other aspects. Like there, there were protests in the street, but there were also a lot of things that you were trying to do within your sort of more uh, official roles. How do you think that has like shaped what you might do down the line? Do you think you might end up in politics? you think you might become an organizer? What do you think? <laughs> That's a really great question because I am still trying to figure all of that out as well. I know I'm very passionate about, you know, organizing in the community. I still want to keep that connection I have to Oakland youth and all these other great organizations in Oakland. Um, and also film. I, I've been coming, I've been becoming very passionate about film, just the power of storytelling itself, you know, stories like Homeroom. We need mm -hmm. more of that. We need more of that. We need to hear more of that and shed light on the issues that communities similar to Oakland have. And I sort of want to, you know, give that to, to the communities and, and work on storytelling. Yeah. I want to add in Kevin from Oakland, California, into our conversation. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. What's your story? Uh, so I started teaching at McClyman's in 1989, and then moved on to Oakland High, and I taught there for 20 years. And I'm really glad that, that people are stepping up to make documentaries about what's going on in our urban public schools. And I just hope that uh, I hope that the population density, the class size issue, you know, was brought to light because, you know, five times 32, which is what most teachers are dealing with, right? 160 kids a day is the major, major problem mm. that I observed in, in my career teaching in Oakland. And the, the, the students actually, since that's all they know, they don't realize that that's not normal. And they may not realize that what they really need is a class size of 20. And so, you know, it's great that, that the documentary is going to bring some things to light. I'm anxious to see it, but I really hope that that class size uh, somehow in some way is covered yeah. in the documentary. In, you know, some people may know that in real estate, they say there's three things. There's, there's location, there's location, and, and then there's location. <laughs> and in education, in education, there's really three things. There's class size, and then there's how many students is the teacher dealing with, which is class size. And then the third thing is, is actually class size. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what the teachers in Oakland are doing is unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. When you look at the work weeks, the time they put in is just off the charts. And, well, Kevin, and let me, just before we run out of time, I just want to make sure that we give uh, Peter Nix a chance to respond to this. Thank you so much for that comment and your work in the schools. Peter, how did you see the relationship between students and teachers at, at Oakland High? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's, you know, it, it's difficult to step into the space of, you know, education in Oakland and make a film that is going to uh, satisfy everyone. And I think this commenter's uh, observation is very real and requires a film of its own. We, you know, uh, when we initially started making the film, that that issue could have potentially come to light as something that surfaced in the film. But because of COVID and because of the movement that these young people um, 
organized and achieved, the, the film became something else. And we, we think that that is, it's very important to point out to people that despite the fact of, of very clear issues and problems that persist in our, in our schools, achievement gap, class sizes, um, housing insecurity, food insecurity, bias, racism that these students face, they're, they're nevertheless in the, in the possession of, I don't think adults fully understand sort of how young people, you know, that their voices and their ability to speak truth to power and organize and do all these things that, whereas the metrics of how we measure them and their potential, SAT scores, grades, tell a different story. And that's really what this film became, became about. And um, it, it does need to sit alongside these other issues which are ongoing and, and, and persist. But I do encourage everyone to, um, you know, watch the film to um, understand that it, it, it's part of a larger story. We've been talking about the new documentary, Homeroom, which depicts Oakland High School students from the class of 2020 with Peter Nix, director of the movie, Danielson Garibo, 2020 Oakland High School graduate featured in the film, and Dwayne Davis, a 2020 McClymonds High graduate. Thanks to all three of you, and we'll be back with more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.